0: This is episode 78 of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast, and I'm your host, John S. In today's episode, I'll join Julie Kay and Greg O from my home group, We Agnostics Kansas City. We'll be speaking at the Paseo Group's Alcathon. It's an event that I've been able to participate in three years in a row now. It's something I look forward to every year. And this year was especially nice being there with Greg and Julie. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm John. I'm an alcoholic. And I came here totally unprepared, other than I've been in AA for a good long time, and i drank for a little bit, so I have, I guess I have something to share. <laughs> I do want to say um, that this is now the third year in a row that I've been able to speak at the Paseo Group's Alcathon, and I love it. The um, the first, the, And the first two times, though, I spoke at 5 o'clock in the morning, I think on Christmas Day itself, which I didn't mind doing, but there wasn't a whole lot of people to hear what I had to say, which is okay for me, too, to be honest, when I could talk with no one in the room, but... Um, I love this group. I've I've gotten to know people from this group by um, when I started getting involved in uh, general service. Uh, This group, uh, the Paseo group, really believes in service. Uh, They get people started in it right away. They say as soon as they stop shaking, they let them run a meeting. And then they get them involved with going to uh, district meetings and area assembly. And that was just a really important um, lesson for our group when we started, because we just started up like about three years ago. And we also wanted to get involved with the service structure of Alcoholics Anonymous <coughs> and just be good citizens of of AA itself. This group also has a long history of inclusion. You know, it started at a time when um, black people and white people were not going to the same AA meetings. They black people were not allowed at group number one, and so uh, the interracial group of Kansas City started, and that's from where the P- Paseo group came. And that was a group that welcomed everybody, regardless of your race or religion or anything. It was t- totally inclusive, so this is really, in my opinion, the first inclusive um, AA group in Kansas City, Missouri, and I'm just so grateful for it, and it's great to be here. So I'm not going to talk a whole lot about my story because I've got two people here from my group, okay, but I, what I will do is um, share with you a little bit about um, the we Agnostics group and what it's all about and how we got started. So here it is. Um, I've been in AA for a good long time. I'll be celebrating thirty years in July if I don't drink. That's yeah. <laughs> just a one-day time of thing if I don't drink. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I'll be I'll be doing that. So anyway, so for, for so I went to P three mm-hmm. for most of the time that I was sober. And I was doing well there. And P three was a group that you know we read the Big Book, we got on our knees, and we prayed every single day. And you know we believed in service and taking the message out to other groups and and all of that. And that so that was my experience in AA. I was a real I was a real student of the Big Book. I mean we studied it, we underlined it. I've read it so many times. I know I know it, I know it really really well. Although uh, people still think that they need to teach me about it. <laughs> anyway, um, so that was my that was my background in AA. It was it was a real traditional you know approach and then um, I was never really a very religious person Um, But when I got into Alcoholics Anonymous to begin with, um, they told me, "Don't you worry about that. You know, you you can find any higher power you want to." And I was kind of using the group for my higher power. But then eventually, I got into the book, and I got into with a sponsor, and it was really more of a, a God thing, and it was really more I needed to get on my knees and pray and all that stuff. But I did it, and I said, "Well, you know, it was really hard for me to actually believe in God, but I didn't disbelieve in God. I just..." I, I I just did it. I just did what they said to do. So I was I was a p- person like that, you know, every morning I'd wake up, I'd get on my knees and I'd ask God to give me a day of sobriety. I'd go to meetings, I'd call my sponsor, I'd read the big book. I did the drill. I ended the day on my knees and thanking God for that day of sobriety. Um, I did that for a good long time. Eventually, I stopped doing the praying thing, um, but I wasn't telling people I had stopped doing the praying thing. (laughs) I just let them assume that that's what was going on, but no. Anyway, so what was happening with me during that period of time, I started having these nagging doubts about what I really believed with respect to a higher power. And I don't want this this, this talk to be all about my, my disbelief in a higher power, but it's a big p- part of my story because I eventually got to the point where I realized, you know, I'm an atheist, and I was 25 years sober, and i have been going to this group, P3, for a good long time. And i have been talking and sharing... Um, in meetings, um, based upon what I've knew in the Big Book, and so it was a very spiritual um, sharing. It was that—that that was my experience at the time. But my experience changed. Not, maybe my experience didn't change because the past is what it is. But I began to understand it differently. Put it that way, I began to see um, that there was a lot more going on. Th- What I started to see is that there was a lot of action that I took, that Alcoholics Anonymous, for me, boiled down to a practical program of action, that there are things that we do, regardless of whether you believe in a God or not, um, the God is the higher power. It's what it what's empowers us to do these things. And we're all free to have whatever belief that we want when we work the steps as to what empowers us. That could be God. That could be the God from the New Testament. It could be whatever you want it to be. But it could also be the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. It could also be the people in the rooms. And that's ultimately what I use to um, empower me to make it day by day without having a drink. And the, and the people of Alcoholics have alcoholics Anonymous have not failed me ever since I've been um, sober, since July 20th of 1988. So it does work for me. Um, but I do think it's important, you know, taking, taking a lesson from the Paseo group, that I acknowledge and respect um, other people's beliefs, um, and that, that that we all understand because, you know, we can fight if we want to. <laughs> um, and sometimes I do fight. I'm on the board of directors now for central office and I've learned that we do fight in AA, you know. <laughs> there's some things that might be worth fighting for. I don't know. But anyway, but we don't necessarily have to fight in AA meetings. You know, and an AA meeting is all about you know, doing what we need to do to stay sober another day. And whatever works for any individual person, as far as I'm concerned, is, is what we need to support. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if a person comes into our meeting and they believe in God, they're welcomed with open arms and they're free to express their belief in any way that they want to. Then again, if someone doesn't believe in that and they just want to talk about, you know, some other way of staying sober, even if it's not through the steps, they're welcome to whatever, whatever they can do to stay sober one, one day at a time because we do know um, how dangerous this, this is. So anyway, um, I kind of got off track, but um, I started started sharing at P3 um, this new experience, this new understanding of the program, where it was like, you know, I I didn't have any kind of a supernatural God that was empowering me to stay sober, and I was quite um, frank about the point that it's other people that help me. And there seemed to be some resistance because there were some people in the group that said, "No, um, human power will fail us." It says so. You see in the big book. I said, "Oh yeah, I know, I read that." But yeah. <laughs> but but, I, but but I still said, "But you know what? It has not failed me yet." And you know, so that's that. That was kind of like a schism. And I got to where I really wasn't comfortable there anymore. Not really because of what the people in the group were doing, but more because I wasn't comfortable just being being who I was. So I learned about these agnostic groups, which have been meeting since the 1970s. And I asked someone in our group if they'd like to start one up with us, and that's what we did. We started the We Agnostics group, and we've been meeting now. We're going on our fourth year. It'll be four years in July, uh, in August, rather. So um, it's been a great experience. And since that time, you know, I've met people like Greg and Julie and many, many others. They're probably now... I would say, over 100 of us in the community. And we have now two um, agnostic groups in Kansas City, which is really incredible for a city of our size. And we have um, secular AA meetings that take place every day of the week. And what's so cool about it is there's a lot of people out there, believe it or not, that don't really want anything to do with AA because they're afraid that they have to accept someone else's beliefs. That is a misnomer. That's not the way it is. But they do have that impression. So they come to our group. Some of these people learn what the truth is about Alcoholics Anonymous, and they find themselves comfortable at other meetings. We've had people that come to our group exclusively and then have become comfortable to go to other meetings and comfortable as non-believers. so we do that too. So anyway, it's just been a great experience. And like I said, I, I, I don't want to talk too much longer. I'm going to turn this over now to Julie Kay. Julie, I met, um, gosh, I guess maybe a year after our group started. Julie, is that when you started coming around? and she was a member of the church where we meet and she heard about our agnostic uh, meeting and she said, thank God. <laughs> uh, Julie kaye
1: Thank
2: you, John. Thank,
1: thank you, you, John. Hi, everybody. I'm Julie, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Julie. Now, John saved me about the second half of my presentation and it's a pure ditto. But I wanted to, before I start, I'm gonna have to get the tears out of the way. I'm getting ready to celebrate 30 years, the first week in January. 30 years of sobriety. And the irony, and it is, a—and so preparing for this, the irony is I just got back from Florida where my brother lives. <laughs> and he has been diagnosed with stage four liver failure. He's uh, six years younger than me, and he's one of those hopeless alcoholics that just couldn't get sober, and now hes he's been told if he doesn't drink, he will live six months. Otherwise, he has no more than 18 months. So that really has um, made my whole 30-year celebration, it's, it's really reminded me of what I've avoided, and... I wanted to just give you an idea of how my drinking started. I was married, I was living in Michigan, and suddenly I realized in the back of my mind I had always been pushing away a secret, and the secret is that I was gay. And I just found out I was pregnant, and I thought, oh no. So I stayed married. and. Ultimately, uh, I went to my doctor when I was pregnant. I said, now, what do I do? I can't sleep at night. I didn't dare tell him why. Yeah. Because in those days, in 72, you would have been, I would have lost the baby before he was born. And so uh, he said, well, I don't want to start to own medications, but do you drink alcohol? And I said, not really. He said, oh, you'll like screwdrivers. Have one or two every night that'll help you cool. sleep. Wow. So thus began my way of coping with being gay and being in a situation I found very difficult. I moved back to Kansas City and brought my son. I, I divorced my husband. And by that time, my drinking was just escalating. And I was, I came home, I had no support from my family because I was getting divorced and I was brought up Catholic and you just didn't do that. And and also I had uh, internalized homophobia is what we call it. I was very ashamed of who I was. And so that really went on for years and I would just drink to drink it away and not have to cope with it. Well, ultimately in 1985, I was in a severe auto accident while I was drinking, and I had uh, suffered a severe head injury that was, uh, I was in a coma. I was, all those things that happened, and it took me quite a while. I, I, my cognitive processes just weren't operating the same way. My speech was very slow, very deliberate. I would forget where I was when I was talking mid-sentence. I would get mixed up and I couldn't finish my thought because of the effects of the head injury. And so I didn't work at that time, which made it worse because then I could drink 24 hours a day. At that time, I sent my son to be with my husband because of the shape I was in. And, um and I kept drinking, and then ultimately, that was 85, and about 87, I met someone who had gone to the gay group Live and Let Live, and I'd never heard of that, I'd never really heard of AA very much, but she was transformed when she got sober, and I thought, oh, that's good for me. That's what I want to do. So she told me about the big book. I went to central office, got a copy of the big book, I put it beside, at my bedside table, and I would drink scotch every night and read the big book. <laughs> it took me about six months to get through it. I just remembered there was a lot of good stories in it, and that was about it. And I would read until I passed out, which was pretty typical. And then after I read, I thought, okay, I need to go to AA. This is the time. And that was probably the scariest time of my life, was stand, was going to an AA meeting. I went to the Live and Let Live building. I opened the door, I looked in, and I saw all these people in a big circle, and I shook, and I, I just took a deep breath and went through the door, and my life has changed dramatically since that time. You know, I've, the promises have come true. I've returned to school, furthered my education. I couldn't have done that when I was drinking. I was successful at my job. I couldn't have done that when I was drinking. And I rebuilt a lot of relationships with my parents, my siblings, uh, my son. And he and I, of course, he was living with me again, and we were tight. (laughs) And he was so proud of me for going to AA until he realized that I'd be awake and aware of when he was trying to sneak out, when he was trying to say, you told me I could do that, Mom, and I knew I hadn't. So that made it difficult for a while, but we got through that. He still was real proud. Then I, over the years, I quit going. I would move to different places, and I quit going to AA because there was something that, that wasn't there for me. And when I was sponsoring somebody at Unity right before I started with we Agnostics, it became real apparent that it had to do with God and with religion and with praying. And um, and that's just me. Like John said, that's us. And I just felt that the assumption in AA would was that you would be Christian and not... You know, and not without religion. And so I just, I would, I had friends in the program and we would meet occasionally, but I didn't go to meetings for that reason. I was at the church uh, where we hold our meetings and I was looking through the bulletin. I was kind of bored and going through the bulletin and I saw where it said that the We Agnostics group, at the time they were just meeting on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I thought, oh, that makes sense and I started going that next Tuesday and had been going ever since and it really has, I think it's really rejuvenated my recovery. I've become more interested in attending more meetings than I had for years and I began sponsoring more people. I Started doing service work. I had never done service work except pour coffee and do make coffee and that type of thing And so I was doing service work at the district and area levels And I really enjoyed that and that has um, really uh, Benefited me so much. I'm so grateful for AA all my experiences in AA, I wouldn't be where I am today. And it's hard to believe it's been 30 years. I keep mm-hmm. thinking about that, I thought I've never, I thought if I was sober 10 years, that would be wonderful. And so I'm grateful that I'm able to be up here and talking to you about that. There's a lot of things that uh, people have taught me and I've made a lot of friends in the program and I'm really happy and grateful for AA for that. Thank you.
3: Good morning everyone, my name is Greg and I'm an alcoholic Hi, And uh, it truly is a privilege to be here uh, this, uh, this group does have a wonderful rep- reputation of inclusiveness and history that's very rich And I've been fortunate to get to go to some area meetings in Sedalia And meet a couple of people from the group and uh, John has spoken very highly. I'm not going to tell my story. It's, um, you could probably guess what it is. It might be similar to yours. But uh, you know, uh, I brought instead a topic to read. Um, this I spend a lot of time in Washington, D.C. Uh, it's not a very pleasant place to be these days, but my job still takes me there. Uh, <clears throat> and this is an editorial that I'd like to share from five days ago in the Washington Post. It's called The Death of a Young Montgomery County Man is a Wake-Up Call. Now this, this before I read this, I, this, this is a, a program of action, as has been said, and this particular group is a group of action. It's got rightly deserved reputation for that and well-earned. And it's a season when there are lots of parties and, you know, topics Of Some of our meetings have been, especially for younger people, newcomers, how are you going to deal with that party, that New Year's party, that Christmas party, that office party? Do you have a plan? Do you have an escape route? Do you have a dog at home that you need to walk and therefore you need to leave early? Or a ride that you have to get or something like that, you know. But here's another way that I've been reminded that we can all help uh, one another. Here's the article. Uh, Frank Saperi last saw his son the Saturday night of December 9th, headed out to a friend's house at seven o'clock. That ne- Navid Safari didn't want to drive the new car recently purchased for him was, in hindsight, an indication the 17-year-old planned to drink alcohol and probably a lot of it. Other things, in hindsight are clear about the tragic events of that night in Bethesda, Maryland. That kids can't always be trusted to do what they promise. That adults need to be vigilant. That police should have done more. Above all, the lesson is that bad things can happen when friends don't look out for each other. The death of this young Montgomery County man should serve as a wake-up call to the community, to parents, to teens, and to authorities about the need to do more in combating underage drinking. Naveed, a Walt Whitman High School senior, was found dead December 10th in a patch of water in a wooded ravine by his father who had been searching for him after he had failed to come home. An autopsy report released Friday said he died from a combination of alcohol poisoning, drowning, and hypothermia. The death was ruled accidental. The boy was among a group who apparently crashed a party. After homeowners present at the party discovered uninvited guests, they ended the party and told teens to leave and call their parents for rides home. Police, responding to an anonymous call about underage drinking at the location, saw kids running away but talked to a group in the street that, investigation later revealed, included Navid. According to police, the boy appeared to have been drinking, but was upright, responding to officers and in the company of other boys who agreed to get him home. It appears Navid later broke away from the group, declining a ride, uh, booking in favor of walking home. Police said there was no applicable civil or criminal charge that would have allowed them to take the boy into custody. Should they have done more? Why not call the boys' parents or make sure the group was safely headed home? Did police delay in starting a search, and would that have made a difference? Police said they will conduct a thorough review of events, and it is important that conclusions about whether police were uh, policies were followed or whether they need changing be shared with the public. It's also important that parents and schools reinforce the dangers of underage drinking and that teens have a real understanding of the consequences. As Montgomery County Police Chief J. Thomas Manger told us, I think we as a community, including police, parents, lawmakers, all need to look at these kind of tragedies and ask the question, what can we do better? So that's a true story, and that is a good question. What can we do better as we head into the uh, party season? Uh, Not only do we need to look out for ourselves, but as this points out, we need to look out for others. Um, If you're a parent, if you're someone at a party, uh, and I was just at one last week where there were people who had no business driving home, and they didn't particularly appreciate it, but I took their keys away and called a cab for them. And um, I hope that you will all be vigilant, and you will do what you think is right, if you uh, have a child or a colleague or a friend, or if you're a, a police officer and you come upon somebody or you know a police officer who might be able to do something to save a life like this, that you'll, you'll think about that. So that's uh, sort of a topic, um, but as, as always, uh, with, with our meetings, and I'm sure with yours, if there's anything that's on your mind that's affecting your sobriety, for good or for bad, please please feel free to bring that up. And uh, is it appropriate for me to open the floor now to people who want to talk and share their experience, strength and and hope? Thank you very much for letting me share. Thanks, Craig. I also brought some extra wallet cards um, with the 12 steps, the 12 traditions, the serenity prayer, and the preamble. If anybody wants one, just sure. stick
0: it in their wallet. Sure. Greg is really good about promoting the steps, even though he only works a few of them.
3: <laughs> I recommend you put this over your money or your credit card, so you've got to get past this before you pay a bargain.
0: Yeah, okay. So thank you, Greg, uh, for, for sharing. Um, I guess um, I just want to I guess, share just a, a little bit of gratitude again for Alcoholics Anonymous based upon the article that that Greg read and also uh, Julie's story about her brother. Because there's absolutely no doubt that there are people all around us in this city and all over this country who are dying from alcoholism. And there are loved ones that we have. Um, I have a brother actually who is homeless today, not because of alcoholism, but because of mental illness. And you know, so I, I can relate to these stories that we have about people who we love, who we cannot reach, that we cannot help. And um, something that came to my mind um, because my brother is in Florida and I cannot do anything to help him with his problem with homelessness and mental illness. But maybe there's somebody's brother here in Kansas City who I can help. And maybe there's somebody in Florida who can help my brother. And that's just kind of a nice message for Alcoholics Anonymous because, you know, someone will come into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and and they might have a loved one who cares about them, a loved one who can't reach them, a loved one who can't do anything to help them with their problem, but they come to our meeting and that's what we're there for, to help us by helping them. But also, you know, we're doing something for a lot of people in the community, a lot of people who love these alcoholics. So thank you very much, Floyd, for having us here. and I'm really grateful for the opportunity.
2: Yeah. Mm.